So when Pastor told me that I'd be speaking and he wanted me to do a series, I was uh, a little scared and didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and then I looked up, and this is a painting that hangs in my office, um, just around the corner. And I, I painted this last year, last summer, uh, because I was so impressed by this passage that we're going to look at tonight. And I'm a very artsy person, and so usually when I do one artistic thing in one arena of my life, it spills over into others. Um, so I also wrote a song about this passage, um, which I'll sing for you at the very end. Um, and the passage we're going to be in tonight is John 4. And there is an insert in your bulletin if you'd like to um, look at that. There's some blanks for, for note-taking. Um, so this is the passage of the woman at the well, which is a fairly familiar story, I think, to a lot of us. But I was really, really uh, impressed by this one little phrase, kind of like the speaker this morning was, um, that the woman at the end of this encounter with Jesus left her jar behind. And so that's why I painted this of the jar left at the well, the kind of the aftermath of her interaction with Jesus. And so that's what I'd like to focus on tonight is the woman's interaction with Jesus. And then uh, next Sunday, we're going to talk about how the disciples respond and Jesus' challenge to them in the rest of the passage. So we're just going to be in the first 30 verses, just in the first 30 verses, um, tonight. And uh, this is the Samaritan woman learning to leave the jar. So the first thing to understand is the setting. So we're introduced in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So we're already getting a little bit of a picture. Um, So Jesus is leaving uh, Jerusalem and Judea and going up to Samaria because the Pharisees are already getting upset with him. And this is very early on. I mean, this is only John 4. This is very early on in his ministry. And already he's causing a ruckus with the Pharisees. And he knows that his time hasn't come yet for him to be crucified. And so he kind of needs to get out of Dodge for a while so that the, the Pharisees can cool down for a little bit. So he's going north to Galilee. And if you know anything about how Palestine looked in this day, Samaria was right in the middle, and Judea was down here, and Galilee was up here. And Galilee and Judea were populated by Jews, mostly. And Samaria was populated by Samaritans, hence the name. Um, and there was a lot of racial tension in this area. And the Samaritans were the result of an intermixing of the Jewish culture and the pagan cultures, uh, not only in Canaan, but also cultures that had been imported there by the empires that had ruled Palestine during the exile. And so because the, the temple in Jerusalem during the exile was destroyed, the Samaritans, the people left in the land, built their own places of worship and, and continued to worship there even after the new temple was built. And this had caused a lot of issues as well. So not only do we have a racial problem, but we have a religious problem. We have two groups of people who are racially hating each other and religiously hating each other. And I'm sure that we can all agree that we feel these kinds of tensions even in our day. And as we were talking in Sunday school class this morning, um, probably one of the biggest issues facing Americans right now is the fact that the refugee crisis from Syria 
might bring a lot of those people into our country. And as we talked about it this morning, that, that is an incredible opportunity for us to share the gospel with people that have thus far been very closed off to the gospel. Those countries are uh, kind of unreached. And so God's bringing them right to our doorstep. And that's an exciting thing. And yeah, it's a scary thing. Um, but it's very similar to what Jesus is experiencing here, the racial and the religious tensions. But before we get into that part of the story, I, I do just want to make one little note. I think it's really interesting that Jesus was letting his disciples baptize because John, the Baptist, was doing a lot of the baptizing himself. But even this early on in Jesus' ministry, he's equipping others to serve and he's allowing them to do the work. And I think that, that speaks volumes. And that's something that we as leaders can look to, that we need to be helping others to do work. Um, another point, that they had to pass through Samaria. They had to pass through Samaria. And as we've already kind of pointed out, this is a problem. Now, they could have gone across the Jordan and all the way up and around, but that was more expensive. It would take longer, you know. And so he has to pass through Samaria. And Samaria was not just this tense place of religious difference and racial difference. It was also full of um, sin. And it was a place that you'd be far more prone to temptation. And we experience those areas in our life as well. You know, there are places that sometimes we have to go through that might be full of temptation. And so Matthew Henry has this really um, awesome quote about this. He says, find my place here, the wicked and the profane are at present so intermixed with God's Israel that unless we go out of the world, we cannot avoid going through the company of such. We have therefore need of the armor of righteousness in the right hand and on the left, that we may neither give provocation to them or contract pollution by them. We should not go into places of temptation, but when we needs must. And then we should not reside in them, but hasten through them. Some think that Christ must needs go through Samaria because of the good lost sheep to be sought and saved. This was work his heart was upon. Therefore, he must needs go this way. It was an opportunity of calling them. And so we even see that, yeah, there are places that are scary to go into and might be very difficult for us to go into, but there are lost people in those places that need to hear the gospel. And so sometimes we needs must go through them. Also, we notice here that Jesus is weary. The disciples, as we're about to learn, are, are off in town getting lunch. And Jesus can't even continue that far to even get food. He sits down at the well completely exhausted. And how often do we use the excuse of exhaustion as, uh, well, I'm too tired to minister. I'm too tired to share the gospel with somebody. Even when God has presented us with an opportunity you know, we, we need to look at, at this example of Christ. He is completely exhausted, and yet he's able to minister to people. And this points to the fact that he is a real man, that he is fully man and fully God. And as a part of being fully man, he gets tired and exhausted just like we do. And yet he's able to, to minister through that. And even with the, the mean provisions that he has and in his weariness, his heart is set upon this woman who needs to hear the truth. And sometimes when I feel tired or exhausted, my, my mind doesn't focus on the things that I ought to. I, I focus more on myself than on the needs of others. So now we get to see 
the setting, you know, but we get to see the interaction that Jesus has with this woman. If we continue reading in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so we're seeing that Jesus engages with the woman. He immediately begins a conversation. Even though he's tired, even though he's worn out, he, he takes a moment to engage with this person. And I find that in my life, you know, if I'm not in the mood to talk to somebody and I'm in a public place where I might have an opportunity to interact with someone, I'm on my phone. I'm looking down. I'm avoiding contact, avoiding interaction with people. But that's not Jesus' attitude. He immediately begins conversing with this woman. And he doesn't make it awkward or uncomfortable. He doesn't try to create some reason to talk to her. He takes a physical need that he actually has and an opportunity that she has and uses that to start the conversation. I need a drink of water. And this woman happens to have something to draw water with. And so I think, you know, that's something really important that we need to see of how we ought to start interacting with people. Also, we see that Jesus is humble. I mean, if you think about it, here's the creator of the world who made the water in the first place asking a stranger to give him a drink of that water. It's incredible humility. And he's admitting to her that he's exhausted. He's admitting to her that he doesn't even have the strength to to draw the water himself. And so, The woman does what what he asks. She draws the water. But immediately, what does she point to? She immediately points to the racial tension that that their peoples have. You know, how is it that you, a a Jewish man, would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? This is very significant because the Jews had said it would be better to eat something that was unclean than to even accept a drink of water from a Samaritan. So the fact that he's even asking something like this is just completely unheard of. And the woman immediately assumes that Jesus is a racist. She immediately assumes that he shouldn't be talking to her, that he hates her. That's her immediate assumption. And too often, I think, that our interactions with people, uh, the first thing that's coming to our mind is the differences that we have and not the fact that we are both created in the image of God. And, and it's really easy to fall into that trap because society reinforces that attitude in us that you know, we should immediately recognize the differences in people. But we all are souls who need a Savior, and that should be our first thought 
when we're interacting with someone new. But Jesus immediately moves on off the issue. You know, he, he doesn't take a time to debate with this woman and to, to hash out their differences. And honestly, their the religious differences were a significant thing. She was worshiping on a mountain that God had not asked them to worship on. And he was worshiping in Jerusalem as he was supposed to. He, he did know the right way to, to do this. And he did know that she was doing the wrong way. But he's not going to take this opportunity to have a big theological debate about it. Instead, he's going to start pointing out her need of a savior. Matthew Henry says, Christ will convert this woman, not by showing her that the Samaritan worship was schismatical or was dividing people, though it really was so, but by showing her her own ignorance and immoralities and her need of a savior. And I think that's a really important thing to realize as well, that when we're interacting with someone, what are we, what are we pointing out to them? And it's, it's really easy for us to immediately start condemning people. We have to realize the unsaved are living like unsaved people because they're unsaved. You know, we can't expect them to live as if they have the righteousness within them because they don't. And so we have to be careful as we interact with people. And, you know, Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world. Why? Because the world is already condemned. We all know that we're sinners, eventually everyone gets to that point where they know that something is wrong and there's got to be something better than this. And we don't necessarily need to push them over the edge to that. So Jesus, immediately, as soon as she turns and says, you know, how is it that you a Jew are asking me? Well, he, he challenges her assumptions of who he is. She saw him to be a Jew, a poor, weary traveler, but he would have her know something more concerning him that did not yet appear. Note, Jesus is the gift of God, the richest token of God's love to us, and the richest treasure of all good for us. A gift, not a debt which we could demand from God, not a loan which he will demand from us again, but a gift, a free gift. It is an unspeakable privilege to have this gift of God proposed and offered to us to have an opportunity of embracing it. He who is the gift of God is now set before thee and addresses himself to thee. It is he that saith, give me to drink. This gift comes begging to thee. Though Christ is set before us and sues, us, and, and sues to us in and by his gospel, yet there are multitudes that know him not. They know not who it is that speaks to them in the gospel, that saith, give me to drink. They perceive not that it is the Lord that calls them. So when we are offered with these opportunities, when we see Christ say, give me to drink, do we take advantage of those opportunities? Because he said that, you know, we would meet with angels unawares, that we would serve him by serving others, by clothing the poor, by feeding the hungry. So do we take opportunity to do that, to give Jesus asking for a drink of water a drink? And also, do we appreciate that privilege that he has offered to us living water and that we have accepted that? That is an incredible privilege. Also, as these people are interacting, Jesus is presenting her an eternal solution for her temporal problem. She had a need. She needed water, and that's why she came come to the well with a jar to get it. But Jesus is offering her water that's 
eternal. And she doesn't understand this because she doesn't understand who Jesus is. She doesn't understand his authority. And because of that, she challenges him. She says, you know, who are you to, to get me a drink of water? You don't even have anything to draw water with. Are you better than Jacob, our father who built the well? You know, who are you to tell me that you have living water? And so she doesn't understand because she doesn't understand who Jesus is. That's, that's the issue. And he does have the power to provide her water. He's the creator. He could make water and give it to her right there on the spot. And just like any other faith, she's skeptical of what she can't see. She can't tell that this man is the creator. And so she's very skeptical about these claims that he's making. And yet Jesus doesn't take offense to this. He lovingly just continues to converse with her. And the water that he's offering her really is eternal, right? Because she's coming to this well to get water in the middle of the day. Why? Well, because she wants to avoid all the other women in the village who are coming at the better time, in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening to get water. But she's coming in the middle of the day because she knows she's not going to have to bump into the other people who are gossiping about her, who are talking about her, her licentious living. She's ashamed. She feels that shame. And she doesn't want to have to be confronted by that shame. So she's coming to the well to get water, ashamed. Yet Jesus is offering her freedom from shame and freedom from that sin that she's bound to. And she came to the water by herself because she, she's not wealthy. She can't send a servant out to get the water. She's got to do it herself. And she was concerned about provision. She needed water to live. And Jesus is offering her eternal life. And, and Jesus even promises us in Luke 12, um, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? He knows that he can provide her needs. He can provide her water. And so now we're, we're beginning to see a little bit more of the woman. We get a better picture of her. And then Jesus asks a very provocative question that allows us to really understand this, this lady. And first of all, notice she asks for the water. By the time Jesus is finished explaining a little bit about what living water is, she says, please give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back here. Because I'm sure that every single trip that she took to that well, she was reminded that she wasn't going with her friends to the well. She wasn't going with the other woman, women and, and laughing and having a good time and, and having that camaraderie. She was alone going to the well every day, all by herself. So she's saying, please give me this so I don't have to keep going through this every day. And then he asks her, really important question. Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the, one who, and, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. 
And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So as, as we're beginning to see a little bit more, we see that she's poor. She's not liked because she's coming to the well alone because she's been through six guys at least and everybody knows it. That's not really something that you can hide at that point. And so everybody in this village knows this lady's business. It's a public sin and she wants to avoid talking about it because as soon as it comes up, she changes the subject. You know, as soon as, as she's confronted with this problem, she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Should we worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem? I know that the Jews say that we should worship there. She's trying really hard to just derail that conversation so that doesn't have to happen. And it, it's interesting that, that Jesus still, you know, answers her question. You know, he's, he's going to get back to that issue. He's, he's going to get around to it. But he, he answers her question and, and reminds her, that you know, God is forgiving and the message of the gospel is for all people. It is from the Jews, but soon we'll worship in spirit and in truth. Anyone can do that. And so he, he's providing her these, these beautiful blessings. We have to be loving in our responses. Oftentimes, you know, when we, we start to, to confront people, and this will happen because they're going to know that, that we believe something different they're going to know that, that we have different moral standards. And eventually people start asking about that. And so when we start confronting them and, and they feel conviction about the sin, they're going to try to change the subject. And we have to, to do what Jesus does and be loving and honest in our answers and our responses as we interact with people. We also see that this girl desperately wants real love. And that's why she's been through six guys at least. She is looking for someone to provide her love. And Jesus is sitting right in front of her with the, the truest, most honest love that she could experience. And she just doesn't know it yet. Because once again, she still doesn't understand who Jesus is. She doesn't really understand who he is. And we, we know people like this. I'm sure I know people like this who you can tell that they just, they need love. And they will look for it in any place they can find it. And usually the easiest places aren't the best places. So how do we interact with those people? How, how are our hearts toward them? Because I find in my heart too often that I assume that they put themselves in this position, they chose these, these things, that they're getting their just desserts. But Jesus isn't treating her like that. He's compassionate toward her. He's loving toward her. He's offering her the gift of salvation. And I think that we can take a lot from that and understand that when we interact with people who are sinful and who are deeply embedded in their sin, those, those are the people Christ died for. And we too were just like that. Paul constantly is reminding us of that, you know, and you once were this way. You know, yet we have been freed from that sin. 
So let's take a moment and look at her response to, to understanding who Jesus is. If we continue in verse 25, we read, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So first of all, she was aware that somebody was coming. This, this girl knew someone's coming to tell us more things, to reveal a final truth to us. She, she knew that something was coming. And this reminds us that people have to have their hearts softened before they're ready to receive the gospel. And her heart was, was ripe for the gospel. She, she understood that somebody was coming and somebody was going to explain these things to her. And so when we interact with people, are we softening their heart to the gospel or are we hardening their heart to the gospel? We have to be careful that when we are interacting with the unsaved, we are ripening them to the gospel, that we are watering that seed, planting that seed, that we aren't making them, um, you know, hateful toward Christ or hateful toward the gospel, that they are softened as a result of our interaction with them. And what made the difference in, in her understanding? What, what changed her from kind of calloused, a little bit sarcastic, um, kind of snarky to him, untrusting and, you know, skeptical, to excited and exuberant, and she's running into town. And who's she going to tell? Well, she's going to tell all the people she's been avoiding all this time. That's who she's going to go talk to. And she's going to say, you come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And they might be thinking, well, we know all that you ever did too. You know, but, but this is a huge thing to her because now what, she's not ashamed of all that she ever did because it's been forgiven. It's, it's been taken away and she doesn't have to bear that weight anymore. And so she doesn't have to be ashamed in front of her neighbors about what she's done, even though they know. But she says, you know, he told me all I ever did. She's no longer ashamed of that. So what made the difference? She understood who Jesus was. She understood that he was the Messiah. And that's what made this huge, incredible change. See, we have to make sure that as we interact with people, that we're allowing them to see who Jesus is. Because that's what's going to make the difference in them. That's what's going to help to change them from hating God to loving God, to being opposed to the gospel, to being excited for the gospel. If they just see who Jesus is. And we are here to live out Christ. We are our Christ's uh, church on this earth, his body left behind to share that. And so when we interact with people, who are they interacting with? I find for myself too often they're interacting with me because I like to think of myself as a really interesting person. And so too often I am showing this is who Drew Bundy is and not this is who Christ is living through me. And that's something that, that I need to, to work on. And I think we can all agree, you know, as we are transformed into the image of Christ, are we allowing that to shine through and let people actually interact with Christ and actually see 
who he is in us. And also notice, she left her jar behind. It's, it's such a, a small little phrase, but it, it really it makes me think a lot because as she was lugging that jar every day in the heat of the day, avoiding all these people, ashamed of what she's done, and then lugging that jar back. But when she goes to tell her friends, it might have been in just the, the frenzy and excitement, but she leaves that jar behind. And to me, I, I think of that as really a symbol of her sin and her shame and her burden that she's carrying all of that. And she just dumps that at the well at Jesus' feet and runs off to tell all of her neighbors about what Christ has done in her life. Uh, it's too often that we like to cling on to our jars, even after Christ has forgiven us and cleansed us from that shame and that sin. But we like to, to pick that jar back up and carry it back to town with us. And that really hinders our interactions with people for the gospel. Because if we're carrying this, this pet sin, and even maybe a, a public sin, with us, and we tell people about the forgiveness that we have in Christ, they're going to think that we're absolutely crazy. Because they're going to say, well, why are you lugging that around still? You know, what are you doing with, with that still hanging around? I thought you said that Christ forgave you of that, that you didn't have to be in, enchained to that anymore. But she's eager to share the news, and she's eager to leave her sin behind. So she runs into town without it. So we can ask ourselves a few questions. Um, are we like Jesus? Do, do we look at the story and identify, you know, I, I, I want to be, or I feel like I am like Jesus? Do you extend grace to sinners? Do you take the opportunity to share the gospel? And do you offer others the truth? And do you minister in spite of weariness? And even if we say, I want to be that way, <laughs> but sometimes I, I don't live up to that standard, well, then ask God to conform you to his image, that you would be more like Christ. And ask to, to see those opportunities and for the words to say in them that we would recognize when God presents us with an opportunity to share the gospel and that we would trust that the Holy Spirit is going to teach us what to say. But I think we can also identify with this woman. Are you ashamed? Do you need the love of Christ? Do you need the living water? You know, sometimes we are really attached to our jars even after we've been freed from that. And so we need to recognize Jesus for who he is. He is the creator of the world. He is the Messiah. He's our Savior who's risen from the dead, who's given us new life in him, who's freed us from our sin. We don't have to carry that anymore. And we need to allow him to cleanse our sin Sometimes it's, you know, like, like a house and you might let uh, the vacuum through one room and through another room, but then you've got that other room. It's just a little too cluttered. You don't really want to vacuum it, you know. But let Jesus clear out that room. You know, we don't have to be enslaved to sin anymore. And be made new. Why? So we can share the news. So we can proclaim the gospel of Christ. And leave your jar behind. <laughs>